So that's all cool. Uh, we won't get any background noise, except perhaps a little bit of hum when uh, something goes on, like the heater or the cooler or something like that. We'll deal with it. My co-host today, Mr. Ken McMullen from Hot Vine Brewing. Hello, Ken. Uh, buenos dias, Phil. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> He's been having a problem doing his little Spanish intro. I don't know why he does the Spanish intro, but it's cool. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that uh, we're at a place that I have long wanted to come down to, and guilty as charged, my lad, because I haven't been here yet. I have been to uh, a place that they used to be at, more on that later. With us is the owner, proprietor, uh, brewer, Mr. Mike Thorpe. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you for allowing us to come down. And I did ask you this question um, before we started, and that is, is this your full-time job? And you said no, because you, you said to me when we were setting this up, I don't think I can get there before 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so, what do you do for a living? I'm an attorney. An attorney? Okay, we're all right then. <laughs> so if we break any copyright rules, he'll be able to tell us, I'm sure. Anyway, we are here at in uh, Deepest Lombard, the Lilac Town, and I used to live in Lombard many moons ago, some 20 years ago. And I remember that this location, which is just off the St. Charles Road, right along the railway, uh, we won't get any noise from any trains, will we? Uh, we probably will. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the commuter trains at this time of day, I would imagine. So, um, But this location is now turned into a lovely little... Uh, tap room with fine glassware. You have never not got a shaker glass in sight, as far as I can tell, because you do. You're all about saisons, farmhouse dales, and Belgians, yeah, right? right? So here at Afterthought Brewing, did I say we were Afterthought Brewing? I don't know if I remember that. Anyway, or or is that Afterthought Brewing? <laughs> Just to translate that one out. Um, Ken, have you uh, got a, a taste for saisons? Do you I make saisons? saisons? I do make saisons. Um, I make an oatmeal saison that's really a light, refreshing, you know, easy drinking beer, modest alcohol, about 6%, 6% I think. And then I use it to, uh, I infuse it with different things, fruits and stuff like that, but it's a base beer that lets me make little variants all the time. It's fun. So, Mike, so Mike, it's probably nothing to what you're doing here um, in terms of the volume and the variety that you have. So, tell us a little bit about what Afterthought Brewing is all about. Oh, here we go. There's a train. There you go. Right out of time, and it's a train. It's not a commuter. Maybe it's... There we can hear a song written nice rumble. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So we do all saisons and farmhouse style beers. Um, we do fruit, herbs, flowers, oak, stainless, gin barrels, wine barrels, whiskey barrels, like you know, you name it. If it if it could work with a dry, highly carbonated beer, we've probably done it or wanted to try it. Seems like a very niche thing. Um, obviously, if you were in Belgium, this would be just every day. Um, how did you get yourself into this particular line of craft beer? A visit to Belgium. 
Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's an easy one. It's an easy one. So when did you go there? What, what kind of, tell us the story of how you went. Yeah, the first time that uh, my wife and I went there was in 2011. And we went to visit all the Trappist breweries and Limeck breweries. But ended up, you know, of course we enjoyed those, but fell in love with De La Seine and Tyrier and all sorts of other, um, you know, Saison-focused breweries. And then from there, just decided that was the only thing we were going to do. So were you a home brewer to start with? Yeah, I'd been home brewing for not even a year at that point, and then switched almost entirely to that style afterward. And this is how long ago? Twelve years ago now. Twelve years ago. How long has this been open? Then? Well, not the taproom, but how long have you been The brewery released its first beers in May of 17, so almost six years. Oh, wow. Um, you have quite a reputation, and your beers can be obtained in quite a few of the bottle shop tap rooms. Mm-hmm. What's, you know, what is that your biggest outlet? Uh, I think at this point, probably here is our biggest outlet, but we sell, you know, a lot of beer through places like Beer Cellar, Beer Temple, mm-hmm. um, Hop Leaf, uh, you know, all sorts of fun places. And then uh, we send beer to Europe as well. Wow. If you're selling beer to Europe, is it going back to Belgium? Yeah, yeah it goes to Belgium, France, the Netherlands, uh, Italy, Denmark, I think. UK? Uh, at least once. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think that was for a festival. They did like a special delivery there, so I don't know if it's generally available. Okay. So um, as we are sampling, we like to sample beers on the podcast, um, you've started us off with calibration beer <laughs> and it's probably the best calibration beer that we've ever had uh, Ken <laughs> and I said oh is this one of yours and you went oh I sorry my yeah. went yeah you, you <laughs> went and it's of course it is Cantillon Cantillon and Cantillon of course is one of the premier um, I guess you could call them an everyday beer <laughs> I drink it everyday yeah yeah <laughs> Um, and is this anything, is this a special one or is this just um, their main? It's a fafoon, which is with apricots. Oh, okay. There's apricots in here. Well, I'm not getting that at the moment. So let me go back and revisit that one. So tell us about, I mean, how do you get all these great Belgian beers here? We try to focus on that as much as we can and, you know, get people to come in, you know, not only for our beer, but to kind of celebrate, you know, Belgian, French styles generally, you know, from saisons from other producers, both internationally and domestically, as well as, you know, Trappist styles, um, lamb making the like, you know, we sell a lot of Cantillon, Dre Fontenen, um, then, you know, are proud to serve, you know, some of our favorite breweries from over there, like Auberon, De La Seine, uh, Thierrier, etc. So you have, um, a draft list here which is quite impressive well at least I think it is because I forgot my glasses and I can't read it um, Ken well, what, what do you see on here between draft and bottles there's 11 pages oh my god <laughs> you know I'm looking in the cooler and you got another cooler over there there's a lot of options here this is a pretty cool place so we need to try one of yours yes right? so we've had that calibration beer tell us what you're going to uh, treat us to here sure so we're going to start out with uh, flower field number one which is a blend of saisons with lilac flowers and chamomile uh, then aged in a gin barrel wow okay and so your barrel program I would imagine is quite significant yeah, uh, we probably have, you know, 40 or 50 barrels going at any given time, and then, you know, they make beautiful decorations or uh, <laughs> work for patio segmentation as, uh, as as it warms up here. So we've always got something to do with all the spent barrels. Right, well, now he's he's reaching for the bottle, so you will get the sound effect of him opening it, hopefully. Um, there we go. Oh, oh, and he broke the glass. Oh, my God. I have to say that your glassware, I mentioned this, it's really quite, um, I don't know, it's elegant, I think is probably the word. Now, these, what do these glasses call, this specific type of glass? This is the Rastel Harmony glass, and I think this is, this is the 34CL version. And they are like a 
wine glass, really, and when you touched it, it had a fantastic sound. Are they? They're not crystal, are they? No, no, and they're surprisingly heavy duty and sea soft. Let me slamming the bottle. Let's, let's see, see how it goes. It. Oh, oh, it's, it's a dull, a dull clunk. Yeah, beer in it. Beer in it. So tell us uh, a little bit about this, I, uh, the color, and I'm looking at the head. It's just poured out fantastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it should have pretty good head retention because it's a fairly high carbonated beer, which lasts, um, you know, even with a longer barrel-aged beer, which a lot of times, you know, that kind of kills the head retention uh, versus a, a stainless beer, especially one that has, you know, rye or oats or something like that in it. Um, but so this was uh, stainless components that were then blended together to create, uh, into a gin barrel, to create something new. And, um, you know, this is the first in the series, but we've got a, a few other beers in barrels that I think will end up getting blended together to be uh, further elements of the Flower Field series. You said stainless components. Fermented in stainless steel, ah, as opposed okay. to... We, we do most of our primary fermentation in barrels and then aging in that barrel or after we top it off or a different barrel. Um, but we do have you know a, a decent number of stainless steel tanks that you know sometimes a lot of times when we're brewing those, it's to transfer to oak. But then other times, you know, we're releasing pure stainless beers that are a little cleaner. So I'm getting... A very delicate aroma off the top of this. Is that the chamomile? I'm, I'm not certain of what the chamomile... I know it's kind of some type of plant and it's going to give you a very delicate fragrance. What's yeah, that? Well, it's, and it's all blended together as well because you've got the chamomile and the lilac plus all the botanicals from the gin barrel. And uh, I think I'm getting a little lilac because I have... well. I said that if you lived in the lilac, Lom- the yeah, lilac Lombard is a, smell like. <laughs> Lombard is the lilac town. They have the lilac festival. I know you've brewed the lilacia. Yeah, we make one uh, lilac beer every year. So, ha- tell me, do you take the plants and strip off the flowers? How does that work? Uh, lilacs kind of grow in big clusters at the end of the branches, so we clip off the clusters and use just those. But you know, the little you know, webbing greenery between the actual, like, little flowers. We don't clip that off. And then we round that all up and then add it at the end of the boil. Do you go and get it at the park? Yeah, uh, it or actually... do they provide it to you? Uh, <laughs> my, my parents have unfortunately moved, uh, so we've had other sources uh, lately. But uh, the first couple batches were just from my parents' yard, you know, a couple blocks from the brewery. Oh, so you, you didn't go sneaking into Lilacia? No, no, I think we're going to try to work with them on, on something <laughs> like that. Just maybe take one cone of flowers from each bush so that they're not missing them too much. Yeah, right. So, so. Check with them on the, you know, how they're treating that area, too. Commercial yeah. areas, like, they're, they use heavy-duty herbicides and stuff. Yeah, I doubt they use too much at the, the park there, but... Yeah. yeah, we'd have to find that out in advance. A little more difficult than we make a dandelion beer every year, too, and that's a little bit easier. It's like, well, you know, you we get them from our yard mostly, but you see tons and tons and tons of dandelions somewhere. You're like, it probably wasn't treated oh, yeah. much here. You want to come to my yard, you can have all the dandelions <laughs> you want, and I don't use any herbicides or anything like that, which is why I've got a lot of dandelions. Exactly. Uh, so, Ken, what do you think of this beer? Oh, this I'm, is... I'm still trying to analyze it. You know, it's really... Uh, Amazing! That's delicious. I, so I've I've already dove in. It's uh, it's lightly tart. I get a little citrus, um, and then the all of the uh, the floral just comes together. It's almost like almost like uh, when you have um, spring honey. You know, it's white, and you get the the light floral character. And it's just blended in. It's nice. Yeah, this is really. Um, an amazing beer because every time you take a sip you're getting a slightly different look on it you know a little different taste on it it's it's one of my journey beers I like having the journey through the beers <laughs> you know something different all the time mm-hmm. like uh, lots of carbonation it's yeah fantastic um, you said that you send them out you export them out to um, Belgium uh, is that a difficult process to get in place? No. Thankfully, no. no. <laughs> they love it? We work with an importer in the Netherlands that uh, works with it. Actually, UK UK and US-based company that does all the logistics and paperwork and whatnot. So, 
other than our typical Illinois and TTB paperwork. We send them the beer and an invoice, and that's it. That's very cool. Um, do they... Um, I don't want to get down to how much they cost, but do they put a premium on them when they send them out there? Because obviously you've got to pay for the export visa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're certainly quite a bit more expensive than than they are in Illinois. But yeah, that's what happens when you travel across the United States. I think they've got a big warehouse in New York and New Jersey, so we're on the East Coast, and then you know over the ocean through Europe. So it makes sense that you're uh, you're adding quite a bit of transportation cost there. Right. Well, this is a fantastic starting beer. I want to come back and uh, just, you know, finish this one off in our break because I want to ask you a little bit about your barrels, where you're getting from, uh-huh. what type you use. So we'll be back in just a sec. Cheers, Ken. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, mate. Oh, now we're getting a clang. Cheers. A little, a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Let's talk about You have gone to your refrigerator over there and pulled out another bottle. And this one, I thought, was named after me, Extra Noble. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not. Um, (laughs) Tell us about this one. I'm going to say, does it have noble hops in it? It does. Uh, One of the, that's that's the genesis of the name. We have Noble and then Extra Noble, which is um, actually the same basic grain bill. I think it has a little bit more rye, but then uh, quite a bit more hops. Uh, and it, it was originally Hallertau, Little Fruit, and Saz. We had some trouble getting Saz during the pandemic, and now Saz is again down a ton in acreage this year. Um, so now it's half noble in that it's uh, the other half is Saphir. Now the first beer, um, I have also a, a tart rating, a pucker rating, if you will, because the first one did not pucker me up too much. This one, there's, I'd give this a four out of five. Maybe it's because of the previous beer that we've had. There's a, certainly a, a good tart value to this. I get, I get more body in this and more sweetness than the last one. Yes, that's, um, this one's got a pretty hefty dose of rye in it. Um, so yeah, it gives it quite a bit more body and then I would say, yeah, probably more perceived tartness because it's uh, it's not barrel aged, so it's yeah. it's not you know not nearly as complex. It doesn't have twenty ingredients like the other one. But it's it's you can I mean you can definitely tell the difference. And if I was to say, oh, this is almost like a Belgian type of German pilsner. So yeah, like and a tart pilsner. I mean that's the idea. That's the hops, it. right? Oh, it yeah. is. Okay. Oh wow. Well, it's that. basically a pilsner <laughs> with rye and then fermented with a mixed culture. Yeah. But, um, and so this, and then it tends to get, you know, so like all beers with wild yeast, it'll get, um, or at least that have a little bit of lactic acid bacteria, like our culture does, will get, you know, a little bit more tart over time. And so I think this batch is maybe, maybe like six to nine months old. And then when we have it, you know, come out fresh after a couple months in the fermenter, that normally it's got just like a kiss of tartness. Uh, and then, so, you know, depends on, you know, what you fancy, you know, just like, you know, we serve a lot of Orval. And so, you know, some people like the older Orval, some people like it fresher and hoppier, so. So, the barrels that you use here, um, as you walk in the place, you'll see an array of barrels um, that sit the other side of a small wall. Um, and I'm assuming that those are barrels are full. They, they don't look like they're the full big barrel. Right. No, no. The ones, the ones behind the half full there are only 15 gallons, and you know, we'll get some from barrel brokers, but then you know, as many as we can um, locally. So we've gotten you know from local distilleries, uh, you know, gin producers that are doing barrel aged gin. We do a lot of mead barrels um, from you know, friends in the area, uh, and then you know when we need like wine barrels and whatnot, there aren't too many wineries in the Chicago area, so. Uh, yeah. So we're mostly just getting those, you know, from brokers online. There's a couple, uh, Linfrey, I know. Yeah, we've, we've had one of their barrels. Yeah. Okay. So what is the favorite barrel that you, you know, put most of your beer into? I, a lot of the barrels, as I understand them, and I don't know too much about manufacturing, but a lot of the American barrels are made out of American white oak, is that right? That's 
That's your uh, bourbon barrels. Okay. Are, uh, and they're charred, so uh, that's not what he's using. You're using. If he's more wine barrels than... So what is the difference coming up then between the two? So so wine barrels are a little bit bigger and have thicker staves, and a lot of times those are French oak versus bourbon barrels, which have thinner staves. So they let in a little bit more oxygen uh, more quickly, and they're smaller. Uh, but a lot of times we are using those because, as I mentioned, we use a lot of yeah, meat barrels, and a lot of times that's coming out of bourbon barrels. And then the same thing, uh, typically barrel-aged gin is aged in a bourbon or rye whiskey barrel. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times bourbon barrels, I'm not much of a spirit drinker, but from what I understand, bourbon, <laughs> you, you can only use the barrel once, right? So once you repurpose it, distilleries will age gin in it too. So this is, not, I mean, I, I, I don't get the amount of oak that I would get from a foot Foda. Foda? Foda? Foda. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, well, this one's got no oak. Okay. This is just, yeah, straight stainless steel. So when you've had wine in it, um, it the wine has absorbed a lot of the oak flavor, mm-hmm. and you're getting the remnants similar to the bourbon barrels where you're getting the remnants of the bourbon. Have you ever put it into a fresh barrel so you're getting a lot of oak? Yeah, initially. Was that not a wise idea? No, initially we did. We had um, some custom barrels made for us by a place in Minnesota. And it was, yeah, you definitely got quite a bit of oak. Um, that, you know, initially at least we just started, you know, kind of blending it down to, to get to the oak character we wanted to. Um, but typically when we get, you know, a, a wine barrel or something like that, it, it does have a decent amount of oak character. Uh, and same thing when we, when we get gin barrels. A lot of times the first, you know, fill is going to have a decent amount of oak as well. Um, um, we talked a little bit about how you're conditioning your beer. Can you explain that again? Yeah, absolutely. So everything that we do, um, I should say not everything, nearly everything, probably 95% is either bottle conditioned or keg conditioned. Which means, you know, when it's done fermenting either in a stainless steel tank or in barrels, or we put it into a, a stainless tank where it gets mixed with, um, you know, we, we typically just pull some yeast from the most recent batch. So it's mixed with fresh yeast and sugar, honey, fruit juice, something else fermentable. And then you're putting it into the bottles and kegs and it will you know, naturally carbonate through fermentation of those additional sugars and then Really you know, of course, tracks the carbonation. So Phil also said he prefers draft beer versus bottled beer, but because you're leaving yeast in there, it's scavenging any oxygen that gets in. So those the, those beers, they have a lot longer shelf life. Yeah, it's helpful in that respect. And also our culture has a lot of Britannomyces in it, which is an oxygen scavenger over time. And so at the bottom of these uh, bottles, are you going to get yeast? Yeah, can you tell his pour there? Oh, yeah, my pour. Oh, and, uh, there we go. How about that? So he just poured out the end of the bottle, and uh, it was it's what well, a, a, a yeasty. Yeah, the last you know quarter, oh, I, quarter half an ounce would be plenty of yeast, which is it's good for you. Yeah, as my as my friend Mark would say. Well, he used to say, oh, yeah, you got all the good stuff there. You know? A lot of vitamins, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. So uh, when you're opening these bottles, um, you have to be careful. And I'm assuming on the label you say bottle condition, open with care. Uh, I think everybody who knows our beer knows, knows what it is. But yeah, uh, it just depends on what you like, too, because the yeast does, um, it adds a little bit more body. And then in places like... Like in barrel conditioned beers and fruit beers, yeah. the yeast absorbs some of that flavor, uh, so it, it's a little bit more intense, and you get a little bit more body and cloudiness to it. Um, so you know, some people like to pour all at once and leave this, you know, the last you know half ounce in the bottle as sediment. But some people like to, you know, I, a lot of times I like to compare the pour the first half of the bottle, and then pour the second half with the yeast, and you know, compare and contrast. Have you ever taken a bottle of really good made in Belgium beer? I, you know, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. There's yeast on the bottom of it, and you've poured it out, and you've taken that yeast and cultured it. No, not really, because you. <laughs> a lot of the you know more famous Belgian and French breweries that the, you know the various yeast labs offer you know generic terms, but you can tell what they are and where the yeast came from. Yeah. So, what is your favorite yeast? 
I mean, it sounds like you're reusing your yeast. Yeah, yeah, we, we reuse our yeast. Uh, for the most part, we use um, Omega's Saisenstein, which is, I believe, a hybrid of yeast coming from uh, Thierrier in France and Blagy in Belgium. So there's two really dominant Saison strains, and what Lance at Omega was able to do was get them to re- reproduce together and get a new yeast, and that's what Saisenstein is. Did I have, did I have the breweries right? I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, that's not stored in here. I can look it up. <laughs> you mentioned, and I screwed it up, the fooders. Um, do you have one of those? We do not. Would you like to get one? <laughs> uh, they're, they're too large for our production level. Okay. And, and in the next segment, I want to get to where you actually produce some of these beers because it's an interesting history to that. Um, you said you like Belgian beers because you went to Belgium. Well, how did you get into the? I mean, this is a very... Production of these types of beers needs a certain amount of knowledge of how these little buggers work, this Breton Mices, right? Uh-huh. And it, I think that most of the people who produce these beers have a background in some sort of biology or chemical engineering or something like that. And it <laughs> sounds like you, you've done your homework is what it sounds like and you just immersed yourself in this. Yeah, a lot of reading, uh, figuring out everything that I can. Um, you know, a lot of research, liquid, yeah. liquid research, we'll call it, <laughs> um, over the years, you know, as I said, you know, since we, you know, basically focused entirely on this, you know, it's been uh, well, well over a decade now, so. And so that was just something that you fell into doing, you never yeah, thought you yeah, I found out everything that I could, you know, reading, you know, any book that was available, um, you know, there, there are quite a few good ones, and then, uh, you know, I would just Google things, breweries that I loved, and if it was from a local newspaper in, you know, Belgium or France, and it was in Dutch or French, and, you know, I'd paste it into Google Translate and figure out what I could, and, you know, just <laughs> learn everything that I possibly could. Wow. That's, that's pretty amazing, because to produce such high-quality beers like this and to export them out, I think, you know, you should be applauded for doing doing what you have done so far. Well, thank you. It's, it's amazing. Now, he's, he's obviously very passionate about these beers, and you touched on the glassware. He has a bunch of guest bottles here. And are there guest drafts or just guest yeah, drafts? Yeah, guest drafts too. Normally, normally it's close to 50. We've got 16 taps, and normally it's close to 50-50 between our stuff and guest. And the guest is usually one or two lagers, and then the rest will be Belgian sure. and Belgian-style so, beers. So as I look over Mike's shoulder, I see his glassware on the, bar, on the draft box and the uh, hanging from the stem, stemware holder. And he's got all the appropriate glassware, which is... A very Belgian thing. Yeah, yeah, that's part of the model. We, you know, as we were talking earlier during the break, we've got the hops hanging from the ceiling to yeah. age out, and uh, you know, we've done what we can to to model after some of our our favorite places. And yeah, the proper glass was part of that. So if if someone makes the glass, or I can get it from a website or eBay or traveling there, you know, we'll get it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking here, uh, West Mal. I see uh, the three. What's that? who's that? What's that? that? is uh, Jerry Fontenot. Okay. And then, of course, uh, do you have any half, half man? Half, half man? The half moon? The half man? No. You know, no, I just said, no, we've got, yes, Taranka, Jester King, Chimay, Rochefort, Glazentorin, Westmall, Thierrier, Laval, De La Seine, St. Bernardus, Jerry Fontenot, Cantillon, Blagy, uh, Alberon, Fantome, and plenty of others. It's just, that's the, the top shelf there. I feel like I'm in Belgium. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm bringing my pale buddies here. Yeah. It's a hundred bucks, sorry. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back. This is fantastic. All right, well, uh, we'll have a, a finish off of a few of this. See if this makes... Oh, that's, oh, that's, that's quite a nice thing. There we go. We like that. Well, okay, now, all right. Uh, we'll be back in just a sec. I want to talk about where the magic happens.
he has plied us uh, with more of his beverages. This time, ones off draft, which, you know, we've had them in the bottles, and I wanted to have something that was from draft. We talked about that. And I'm sure Ken will get pictures. Oh, I've got... This is a lilac glass. You've got different color. I'm looking at the glasses. <laughs> yeah, there are other different This colors. is lilac on here. And then the first one we had in this, what was the name of this glass again? Uh, Rascal Harmony. Rascal Harmony glass. Okay, the first one was was green. This one is now um, lilac. Anyway, the, the beer in this, you got off the draft. Um, it's a, a golden color. Um, and when I went to smell it, I went, I'm not certain what this smell is, and I wanted to say almost like a tar smell. You know, how you know, somebody's black topped your driveway or something. And I, <laughs> this may be a bad description, <laughs> but, but it's got that. Is this a funky farmyard smell or not? I, tell me, what do you think? No, this is the, this is the barrel. So this is, um, you know, started its life as presumably some sort of uh, bourbon or whiskey barrel, and then it was a gin barrel, and then our friends at Manic Meadery, uh, Northwest Indiana, got it, and they aged a Marionberry mead in it, and then we got it uh, from them, and then this is the second beer to run through it, uh, and it, it was a blend of blonde saisons and then uh, saisons that had second use cherries and raspberries, and a saison that had a little bit of kiwi and strawberry in it. And I think it's the the, the underlying gin and marion berries can get kind of floral themselves compared to regular uh, blackberries. And so I get like a like aniseed or black licorice character along with like a little bit of mint leaf. Uh, alongside the fruit and some of the gin botanicals. Um, I'm, I don't know that I'm getting the licorice, but when you said mint, that is what's floating mm-hmm. around in there. And then there's the fruity notes that are coming through. This is a highly complex beer. Ken, can you describe it any better? Whilst I'm having a orgasm because <laughs> this is bloody marvelous, this beer. That's really cool. It's, I, I love the color compared to uh, the first one we had. This is like the first one was like champagne mm-hmm. color, you know. And this one, you can tell, it's picked up color from that char inside the barrel. For the barrel, and probably because yeah, it's second, it probably more so the barrel than the fruit, since it was normally when we. When we can, we have beer available. We do a lot of fruited beers. Um, and then, you know, there's usually a little bit of sugar and definitely some flavor left over. Um, so we try to do like a spent series of, of beers with second use fruit. What is this one called, by the way? Beer to Pieces 44. Beer, shouldn't that be Beer de Pieces? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to try that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a very, very creative uh, name, which is just a series of blended beers. I, I can't get over how the, the aroma differs so much from the flavor. It's, it's like, I'm going into this going, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then when you sip it, it's just wonderful. Yeah, I mean, that, that minty character is a lot stronger in the nose than it is in the flavor, and then oh, the fruit kind of comes out. It's really, it's really, I'm getting black top driveway. Am I? It's, it's really cold too. So some yeah. some of that, like as this warms up, it'll open up and release some more more um, yeah complexity. I guess. Well, that's part of this is you know the commercial refrigerators uh, and bar equipment aren't designed for trying to serve you know cellar temperature beer unless you're going to you know have a cask cask equipment. But um, you know so we've got them bumped up as high as they'll go in terms of temperature because this is not a light lager that you want to serve at 30 degrees. So you know we, you know most of them top out at like 42 degrees. I think is right. the the top level uh, storage. So we bump it up as high as we can. Uh, like you know, we in the past I've used external regulators to change the temperature, but with actual commercial equipment, I was a little afraid of of screwing it up uh, if I messed it with it on my own. Um, do you? I don't know what the ABV on this is, but I mean, it should be about five. Are they all in that area? Yeah, we've only made uh, I believe one, maybe two beers ever over five and a half percent alcohol. 
most of them are high four or low nine, and then we do a lot of different uh, a lot of different table beers. We actually uh, last year, and we'll make this an annual thing. We did a table fest where it was all beers under uh, all saisons under four percent alcohol that we did, and then we had some of you know our favorite producers, and we had some local breweries that made some too, and then we had our uh, quote imperial menu, which was beers that were. 4.0 to 4.9% alcohol. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, well, tell us about your brewery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, hang on, before we get there, okay. I, I was going to ask a question, and it went out of my mind because I was just getting mind-blown by this beer. Um, you mentioned about uh, casks. Do you ever do any from casks, you know, straight from a cask, a firkin or something, you know? Not yet. Ah, I, I've, I've done that. I've done that um, <laughs> as homebrew, and we actually so we had a to stick on the themed days. Uh, we had a lambic day last month, two months ago, I don't remember. Um, and uh, Ode Beersel sells basically lambic in a box. That's kind of like a cask. It's I mean it's like it's like boxed wine, um, but it's great because you're supposed to serve it at cellar temperature, uh, which is perfect for us because our basement is not heated or cooled or anything, and so. Um, in, the, in the winter, it's it's in the low 50s down there, um, and it doesn't actually get much over 60 in the summer, which is really nice. But we're, we're talking about here, yeah, the basement, there's, there's the basement, basement here in okay. the tap room, all right. uh, yeah, where we keep you know all the stores and stores of boxes okay. uh, of extra beer, and uh, that was great. And I would love to do that, like with a cast tapping here, because you know we're talking about beer pieces, which are all you know blended beers based on the name and as brewers when we're tasting things from the from the barrels that's that's all at room temperature and uncarbonated basically so my idea of like having like a blended beer that we can then serve basically as the brewers have thought about it i I think would be really cool um we just need to actually get that going (laughs) (laughs) So, Ken, what was it? I was about what? Or about the brewery? Oh, right, yeah. So, so tell us, there's a history to where you actually produce the beer, and that history involves, well, us to a certain extent, in so much as we were there when you were not there. Uh-huh. So tell us all about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as I think we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, we do some fermentation here, but all the wort production and most of the fermentation is at our main production brewery, which is off of North, basically North Avenue and Route 53. And uh, that, that one's not over the public, but that, you know, was originally um, Flusk Brewing was there before they moved up to Barrington. And, and that's how the brewery got started. As, you know, I, as I said, we, you know, my wife and I did a lot of brewing at, at home and, you know, making saisons. And it always thought, you know, maybe it'd be fun someday to do something like that. Um, and I just happened to see a Facebook post with them moving and, and reached out, and we ended up taking over the you know small garage space and starting up a saison brewery and, there. And that's where we were because uh, I don't think you were there, Ken. I think the original Yankee was there. We went and I interviewed. Did I you was, go there with us? I was there. I don't know if I was there. With I was you probably on one of our uh, beer bus trips that we used to do. Anyway, we were there. We interviewed the guys from Flask, and so we, I know the space that you're talking about. I'd like to see how you've changed it. We're going to have to visit there sometime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so how how big is this? Because I'm anticipating you to say it's not that big, knowing the space. Uh, it's about 800 square feet, including the office and bathroom. So not not that big at all. Okay. So how much? You know what. What what sizes? What the specs that you're producing here? So we're brewing. Jeez, I, I mean, I still think in gallons, but you know, we're making seventy five or so gallons. I guess about two and a half barrels um, per brew day. When you brew, say, I mean, I know Ken, right? You 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 when you do your brew day, I'll ask you, what are you brewing? And they go, oh, I'm doing an IPA today, or I'm doing an oatmeal stout or something, but. You're basically brewing... We're brewing a saison. A saison, and that's it. Yeah. Then there's nothing more to be said about it. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is a man of, yeah, you know, concise. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. So how does, does that differ in any way? I mean, there's no difference in the brewing 
Yeah, Most there's no difference in the word production other than, like, you know, our, our beer, no matter the mash temperature or length, for the most part, it gets down to, like, zero remaining sugar. It's everything's fermented out. So, you know, Ken's probably thinking, like, do I want to mash this at, you know, upper 140s? Do I want to push this to the upper 150s? Like, how dry do I want this beer? And we don't really pay much attention to that because it doesn't matter. So your brewing technique is very much the not the star of this whole show the key to this seems to be coming when you take that beer and put it into some kind of fermentation process that's going to change it yeah i think it's all the the culture the blending deciding like you know candidly you know this one got too acidic and we're just going to dump it out or you know are we going to dry hop this one or we put this one to fruit should we blend this with another beer should we put this in a barrel should we put it in a second barrel um you know all those sorts of decisions but i mean brewing still you know obviously important you don't want to totally screw it up and you know the mm-hmm. recipe is important um the, the process is important because our you know our head brewer chuck is is fantastic and really really pays attention to things Whereas I am not very good on the details. So you have a guy who does brewing then? Yeah, yeah. So uh, initially I did everything. Bottling, brewing, packaging, designing, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but now we have, a, we have a few people uh, and Chuck does almost all of the brewing. Uh, because I tend to not pay attention and accidentally make table beers because I screwed something up in the mash <laughs> when it was supposed to be a 5% beer and now it's a 3% beer. So clearly very important because I, I don't do it very well. Now, you did mention earlier about lambics. Mm-hmm. You said you had a lambic day. Tell us exactly what the lambic style is. So lambic is a Belgian style from the Brussels area. Uh, the Peyote Land, I probably butchered that pronunciation, but uh, spontaneous beer whereby they, they do a turbid mash of barley and wheat and turbid meaning they actually take part of the grain and water out and boil it, which is a big no-no in ordinary brewing. Get it all together, and then after the boil, which they use, um, for the most part, purely aged hops um, for their preservative qualities, and then they put it into a cool ship, which was traditionally uh, a big copper tub that wasn't very deep. Um, I think some of them might use stainless steel ones now. But they would leave it out with the windows open overnight and then transfer it into barrels so it would be spontaneously fermented by the, you know, wild yeast and bacteria in the air. Or, you know, at, at once the brewery is established, you know, they've got, you know, all sorts of critters living, you know, in the wooden beams above above the above the cool ship, which is we, we make a beer with aged hops that's, you know, not at all lambic. But it, you know, inspired, and we call it rafters because I think a lot of them, you know, they age hops up in the rafters, and you've got the the little critters um, living in there. And, and how it goes is that you know the steam from the cooling wort will go up into the wood, and then create condensation, and then you've got um, the bugs, yeast, and bacteria living in the wood, dropping back down into it, plus whatever's in the air, uh, because the wild yeast that I mentioned earlier, Britannomyces, can actually kind of survive on cellulose um, from wood so it can it can live dormant in in wood for for quite a while so it's an it's an interesting system and amazing beer and then i thought there was, there was a certain amount of blending that went on yeah yeah so um a lot of times what we get bottled here is is going to be goose which is traditionally a one and two one two and three year old blend of base lambics okay one of my favorite styles as well is Oud Bruin. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done any of those? We have not. Oh, well, there we go. Maybe it's one you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody who's got a brown... So do you, do you take a brown ale and just sour it? Is that basically what Oud Bruin is? I think it depends on the producer that they, they might do that, like a sour or a brown or amber ale. Uh, some of them, I believe, make fresh beers and blend them with older age beers to get you know the the profile that they're looking for but it's not a season it is but it's not a season that's why oh so he yeah that's right there you go (laughs) well can't you expand out a little bit (laughs) just for me i'm not a flanders red oh my god (laughs) (laughs) all right um this beer uh, uh, by the way i 
took another sip of it while you were chatting there and I got a beautiful sweetness coming through yeah, which is going to and it is because it's opening up right yeah. and it's been sitting here for a while fantastic I mean these are this is the type of place that you can come have, have three or four beers over a, a couple of hours chat with somebody and the beer will just change over the time that you're sitting there and you'll go, oh, wow, this has got nice flavor now. I didn't get that the first time around. You know, yeah, yeah, the temperature awesome. certainly affects things. Have you sent your beers to Fobat? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Have you meddled it? Yeah, we won a gold medal for a key lime yuzu saison that was aged in a wine barrel. I remember that. That was 2016? He said this. No, no, no. We, we released our first, I think it was actually, I think it was 2019. Oh, 2019. And it was immediately okay. pre-pandemic. Oh, right. Okay. Well, and that's a good point. So let's take a quick break and come back uh, for our final segment because I think you're, you're going to treat us to something extra special on the last one, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping, Ken. <laughs> Not of these are the special Yeah, I know. <laughs> Why don't you come back there and do the washing up for us? We've got enough glasses in our uh, We'll be right back. a quick video of you pouring this beer, Mike, which is got a five on the label. And that's reminiscent of that brewery with the three on the label, which you could pronounce and I can't. <laughs> um, tell us about this beer, because this is a completely different color to anything we've had before. Yeah, so this is our fifth anniversary beer, um, which is called Five Years, Five Barrels, and I realized too late that it was also five fruits. Oh. Uh, so it's uh, a blend of a bunch of different components that were in, let's see if I can name the five, five off the top of my head. It's neutral oak, uh, chardonnay, gin, mead, and... Whiskey. All right. Ooh, whiskey. Uh, yes. Crap. And then it was, you know, the, the various components had uh, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, marionberries, and huckleberries, I want to say. I and, think we got the berries covered. <laughs> <laughs> and so that all, all blended into one for our fifth anniversary. And so we've got, you know, just a little bit of it left. Um, this is delicious. It's an honor to, to try this. Um, once again, the aroma comes through, uh, this time not as uh, drive, driveway blacktop, but this is a very, it, it's a very musty old barrel smell to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bet you when we taste this, it's going to be completely different. Have you tasted it? I have. Tell them all about it. Well, I'm not talking about the color first. It's like this. It's, it's like um, it's like red champagne. I mean, it's not like red wine. It's a little more like red mm-hmm. and uh, purple, and it's got like a pale pink head on it. Very delicate looking head. To me. You stayed away from saying it looked like Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they made a color for that. Pretty much. That no, it, about the, it, yeah, it is just cherry Kool-Aid. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it, probably about that color. It's so much more than that, though. I mean, when you pour it out and everybody looks at it, it's like, oh, yeah, that looks like cherry Kool-Aid. But no, when you look at it, it's <laughs> a very, it's a delicate red I'm color. I'm telling you, when you taste these beers, there's so many elements in there, your mind is just like, Oh, I taste this, I taste that, I taste this. I know. It's a little tart. It's not. It's yeah, not. I give this a three on my pucker list, my <laughs> pucker rating. Um, definitely number two, uh, there's the one with the salt, the noble, the extra noble. That was definitely the most tart one, I think. Um, this one, you get, you get the berries for sure. Is it Marion? I know huffleberries were a little bit tart. Marion berries? I'm not familiver with that. I don't it's think a, I've had a Marion berry. It's a, 
I think it's a cross between a blackberry and a loganberry, I want to say. Okay. Wasn't he? It, it, it's, it's some sort of blackberry. I'm going to say the mayor of Washington. Yeah, I was gonna, wasn't he the mayor of Washington? <laughs> yeah, but that, that was two words, Mary and Barry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, well, we won't go there. So, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not certain that I can get the individual berries. I definitely get the tartness of those berries. You don't need to, you just drink it and it's like, and it's delicious. Just a little bit. Yeah, you get a little, like, from, like, the fruit seeds. That's probably, like, you know, kind of, like, the musty, earthy character, especially the and Mary and Berries are kind of like that. Because we use black raspberries a lot, and those are, like, very, they're very jammy, but also very earthy and kind of lightly tannic at the same time. So tell us about that process, because as I understand it, and Ken has talked about this to me, is that if you put fruit into a barrel it can clog up and get rather nasty I mean how how do you do you put this into netting or what's your process for making sure that none of the seeds get in so we have um, yes we use whole fruit um, other than for fruits like passion fruit or we have one now that's got dragon fruit where it's, you basically can only buy frozen puree that's meant for like sherbet or cocktails or things like that. But, you know, when we're talking like cherries, berries, and the like, um, stone fruit, we're just taking the whole fruits, and depending on the fruit, you know, if it's stone fruit, we'll cut it in half. Um, but, you know, berries, just all whole, we'll rinse them off uh, just with some water to get out any, you know, dirt, leaves, etc. And then uh, we ferment with those, and then we've got, like, a series of different stainless mesh filters that basically capture everything. And then it's still, you know, because we're not using, like, filter filters like you would, you know, like Budweiser, you know, would use to, or Anheuser would use to filter out yeast and whatnot. It's it's getting most but not all the sediment. So usually the last case or so is, you know, got a decent amount of sediment, and then that's, you know, that's the, that's the brewer's share. That's okay. You just have a glass ready because you've got that sediment in there. It's a bunch of nucleation points, so high high carbonation, all that sediment. When you open it up, you've got to be really ready. Well, and by the way, folks, on this rascally glass, it says saison on the outside of it. And uh, is this your emblem Uh, on the back side? It's kind of like a window. Uh, So we have a membership program and it was originally you know just the lo- I mean it still is the logo for that um, but we, we've used it on a lot of different things now and it was actually just you know before we open up the brewery we've got a lot of you know friends and family we have over for parties football games and you know not surprisingly we had a bunch of beer on tap and I got sick of everybody asking me what the various things were because we had eight taps in the basement at that point and you know, we printed out a draft list, and I was like, this, you know, it doesn't feel right. It needs to have, like, a logo or something, and it's actually just two T's inside of a square um, for Thorpe Tavern. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> the, the home... Uh, the home that, that I created on Microsoft Paint. Oh, did, you, did you talk about how you came up with the name of the brewery? My wife did that. So, uh... We, so as you can see from one of the glasses that we use, we've got that A logo, which is the main, the main logo for the brewery, other than the script, which is basically, you know, the A plus the rest of, uh, the thought. Uh, and, you know, when I was homebrewing, I had a different A name that ended up, you know, being taken by a different brewery and really liked the, the orange A for everything. So I was trying to come up with something that, that worked. And, Eventually, one night, my wife, Amy, was just completely exasperated and said, afterthought, the name's an afterthought, it's all about the beer. And so, you know, I'm scrambling, typing in, you know, looking on untapped beer advocate right beer, like, has anybody taken that before? And, and, and apparently not, so now it's, uh, now it's ours. And the labels are very simple. Um, they remind me of Maine Brewing Company. Yes. You just have yeah, white label, black. You've got at least red on yours, with or orange rather, yeah, right with the after. The, yeah, the orange, and, orange uh, right? the flower yeah. field has uh, has got green text. But yeah, oh, all very very simple labels. Yeah, and and I think that is a testament to the fact that you have a simple label, a simple bottle, and when you open it up, 
then it starts to get complex because you're letting the beer do the talking. Speak for itself, which yeah, fits, fits into the, the, yeah. the name, yes. And you certainly got a reputation now, I think, across Chicagoland, and it sounds like in Europe. Are you expo- exporting? Are you distributing <laughs> to uh, other states? Uh, we Prior to this, we've done just a tiny, tiny amount. You know, we've got friends in New York that we had a collaboration with and set beer there in anticipation of uh, we're going to release the collaborations. Uh, that, that was right when COVID hit. So uh, we sent beer to New York but did not ever have any event. Um, we just sent a bunch of beer to California, and I think we're going to start expanding beyond that because it's to, to be able to experiment more and do – you know, more fun barrels and different projects. You know, the as you said, it's a niche styles. So there's there's only so much that we can sell in the Chicago area, no matter how much we try to hype up the, the beauty of Belgian and French-inspired beer. Uh, so to do that, I think, you know, if we want to scale up and have more fun experiments, then we're going to have to start, you know, selling the beer to a little, to a wider audience. I have had... The most fantastic time here, sampling your brews. And I have to apologize once again. I did get your beers when you brought them into our um, beer cellar. Uh-huh. I went and bought the bottles. But since you've been open here, I haven't been here. I've been mean to come out here. It's just you know, time gets away with you. I will certainly be back. <laughs> I, I heard there was a tap room, but I just I thought it was over in the garage uh-huh. or in, the, in the brewery. Have you ever thought, or maybe you do this, of having sessions where people will come in, they'll have samples of, like we've had here, four of your beers, you talk about them, you, you describe how the Belgians, uh, you know, do all this whole different glass, different beer, you know, that sort of thing going on. Do you do that sort of thing? Yeah, we've done a few events like that. We probably should should do more and maybe pair that with the, the cask thing that I was talking because then I've got a, a set audience that I know will will drink a certain amount of it. What about food? Do you have things like this? These beers would go so well with various, like, various cheeses and nuts. Yeah, and we uh, we have, you know, we'll do food trucks in the, in the summer and we've had other, you know, people come and, you know, 302 Wheaton that does a lot of burgers and stuff, they've got, like, a portable grill set up that they brought out here. Um, but we're working on getting, you know, dedicated, you know, basically charcuterie boards that would, as you said, go very well with it. So there is a charcuterie location in Geneva called Chai-couterie. Charcuterie is something that would go really well with this, but I think, Ken, you were talking about how you can have like little little tiny samples of different things, like a pickle or something like that, you know, something like that that would go with each beer. Mm-hmm. Um, that that would be like an awesome thing. You could have a range of four of these beers and yes. something special to go with each one. Yeah, I think um, that would be quite know. fun. And so we're ho- hopefully uh, hopefully this summer we'll have that little more selection on the food front. But we're always you know we've got almonds. Well, bags of almonds, but other bags than that, of yeah, almonds. Okay. Uh, people are more than welcome to bring their own yeah. food. <laughs> Tell us, Mike, exactly where they can find you when you're open and all the rest of the details. Yeah, absolutely. So we're in downtown Lombard on St. Charles Avenue, um, just a few blocks east of the Lombard train station between Main Street and Grace. Uh, Grace, where it crosses over the train tracks, um, a couple doors down from the post office. We are open Thursday 4 to 8, Friday 2 to 9, Saturday 12 to 9, and Sunday 12 to 6. And if you are coming from Chicago, it'll stop at the Lombard Station. The Lombard it's not Station. Not more than a what? Five minute Five minute walk that. from the Lombard Station on the UP West line out of Ogilvy. Yeah, I have no idea either. But it goes out to. Uh, goes out to. Out my way. West Chicago and comes from Oak Park, uh, Elmhurst, hits Lombard, Glen Ellen, Wheaton, now to Geneva. Yep. Yep, I think you're right. Well, Mike, it has been an absolute fantastic experience here. Um, there is so much more, I'm sure, to your beers than we've been able to cover in, in the short time that we spent with you, but I would like to raise my glass of Marion Berry beer <laughs> of the fives and say, here's to yet another five. Hey, that would be 10 barrels, 10 fruits, (laughs) 10 beers. Better start planning. Cheers. Cheers. Fantastic. 
I'm not even going to finish this one up with an afterthought. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. But um, Britain Yankee, Britain Yankee, I'll have a pint. No, go, give us a pint. You got any tetanus? Uh, a pint, please, Bob. Give me another pint. <laughs>